I love it that we're back into the book of Luke. As Peter did such a great job kicking it off for us last week. And I hope you heard that message at the end of chapter 10. Because I'm going to take this message today about prayer as we head into Luke 11. And tie it back to that encounter that Jesus had with Martha and Mary in their home. Because I think Dr. Luke... Right here in chapter 11, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is still addressing the concern that Jesus had about Martha at the end of chapter 10. And it's the same concern, guess what, that he so often has about us. There's something about Martha that's a lot like us. And so I want us to get it all and keep it in context what is happening here in this passage. You see, maybe you don't know this, but... Dr. Luke places the Lord's Prayer just after this encounter that Jesus had in Martha's home and this rebuke that Jesus gave to Martha's heart. Because maybe you didn't know this, but the Bible writers, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they do not tell us everything Jesus did. In fact, John ends his book, John 21, 25, saying, oh my goodness, so many more things that Jesus did that we haven't written down. In fact, if we told it all to you, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. So they were very selective in what they chose. And guess what else? They do not always keep it in chronological order. They felt free to rearrange it and cluster it in themes when they wanted to drive something home to us. I believe Luke, inspired by the Spirit, is still wanting to drive something home to us today that Peter was unpacking last week. Oh, yes. If you want to keep from falling apart, you better be sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word. Not just the culture, not just the blogs, not just the television, not just the news. Are you hearing the word of Jesus? But that's not all. Today, you're going to see you better slow down and take time to talk to God in prayer. Both these pieces, it's like hearing from him in his word and then talking to him in light of that word, hearing from him in his word and then praying back to him in light of that word, hearing from him in his word and then pouring out your heart in light of that word. Guess what? This is basic Christianity 101. We've got Christians that act like Christianity is a list of factoids. It's a pile of facts. It's a stack of doctrine. Oh, I believe that. I agree with that. Check, check, check. I'm a Christian. Oh, the heart of Christianity is that you have a relationship with the God of the universe through his son. And you don't have a relationship with anyone if you never listen to them and you never talk to them. You never listen to them and you never talk to them. My wife and I have been married 35 years. We would not know each other well if I just kept saying, I said, yes. I said, yes, we're married. We've been married 35 years. Do you ever listen to her? No, I don't have time for that. Do you ever talk to her? Not really. You guys, we've got Christians, especially in America, still persisting in saying, sometimes right to my face, I don't have time to read the Bible. And I really don't have time to pray. I just throw up some flare prayers in the car on the way to work. Oh, God, help me today real good. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. You ready? You might as well go around saying, 
I don't have time to be a Christian. Oh, because that's the very heart and soul of Christianity. You got to hear from him and you got to talk to him. You've got to hear from him and you've got to talk to him. If you want to keep from falling apart in this noisy, dark, chaotic, confusing world, you better be knowing him because you're hearing from him and talking to him and pouring out your heart to him. This is not optional. This is essential. It's the heart and soul of what it's all about to say, I follow Jesus. So now, in light of that connecting context, connecting chapter 10, the end of it, to chapter 11, now turn to the book of Luke. And we're going to grab that same section that Peter read and read it again, and then I'm just going to keep reading. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I don't hear pages. We still use Bibles here? If you got a real one, wave it around. Or your iPad. Let me see it. There we go. All right. A lot of churches make it so dark, you might as well not bring your Bible because you can't see it. And they're not going to use it. 2022, we still using our Bibles here. And we want you to bring one and mark it up and get to know it. Bible. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is, say the word, say it louder, necessary, necessary. You got to have it. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive, oh, say this word, say it louder, everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So what can we learn from this passage that might help us today? Oh, number one, number one, you will need to submit to something bigger than your own little kingdom. You realize we're kingdom builders, our own kingdom. We're kingdom promoters, our own. Woo! You're going to have to submit to something bigger than your own little kingdom. Look at what he says in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. And we're going to unpack that a lot next week. Father. Hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come. In other words, I hope you realize the Lord's prayer, he never meant for you to memorize this and just say it over and over and over and over and over until it stops having any meaning and your mind is disengaged and you're not even thinking about what you're saying. Don't hear me saying it's a sin if you chose to memorize the Lord's prayer and you ever want to quote it. But here's what he really meant. Let me give you a model prayer, a pattern that, and show you the components that should be a part of every good, life-changing prayer. That's what he meant to do. There's dozens of ways to get after this. But what he's saying is when you pray, every time you pray, don't rush in and start just asking for stuff and telling him what to do. Start with Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, when you talk about the name of God, it's not meaning like, okay, I know some of his names. Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh. Name represents character, reputation, person. So in other words, you're saying, oh God, may your reputation and your name and your fame be spread abroad. Oh, I want you to be glorified and for people to really see God as God, who he really is. I want you to be seen as God. Oh, please, hallowed be your name. Now stay with me. And your kingdom come is saying, before I rush in with my list, and I have one, oh God, I'm clutching it with my little white knuckles, oh God. I'm going to set that aside and say, your kingdom come. Please advance your kingdom, your kingdom, your name, your fame, your rule and reign, your name, your fame, your rule. And now don't make a mistake here. This is not if you're sitting there thinking, is he so needy and is he so insecure and is he such an egomaniac? He's like, need to hear it. Say it again. Hmm? My name. Come on. Tell me how great I am before you ask me for anything because I won't give you nothing. Till you stroke me a little. That's not what's going on. Guess what? Prayer is not just to get things changed around you. Prayer, when you enter into it the right way, with the right components, changes you. Here's what's going on. Jesus is saying, before you begin to ask for anything else, and you can. We're going to see next week, he actually says, persist. He's a good dad. Don't give up. Ask, ask, ask. But before you ask for anything, you need a reset on what matters most. You need a re- You got to come back to out of this world of my name, what I want, these people, this agenda, all that's going on seems so important. And so huh, just settle down and say, wait a minute. First, I have a father. <gasps> Spread your name. <gasps> And advance your agenda, your kingdom. And see, here's what happens. Sometimes if you will go about it that way, it changes what you even think you need to ask for next. When you have this reorientation to what matters most, it often changes what you think you need next. 
Oh, that's right. God is sovereign. Oh, that's right. God has a plan and purpose. Oh, that's right. There's an invisible kingdom right now that's being advanced by our almighty God and his spirit. And I get to be a part of it as one of his adopted sons or daughters. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. You won't get that from Fox News, CNN, blogs, or any of the little rabbit holes. Some of you have dove deep down into your little echo chamber with all your friends saying the same thing. You won't get this in any of those places. So you better get it here. Oh, that's right. It's almost like pulling the lid off this Tupperware of right here, right now, that's starting to stink in there. Mold is showing up on the edges. When the lid doesn't come off often enough and you're not reminded, wait a minute, there's so much more. There's so much more. And there's a God and he's good. And there's a kingdom beyond this earthly kingdom. So what are we asking for when we say your kingdom come? Well, I hope you realize the kingdom of God needs to be understood as already here, but not yet fully realized. We, we are the people living in a time that you could call the already, but the not yet. Jesus already came. And when he came and took on flesh and burst into this world, he inaugurated the kingdom. It's here. Don't say one day, one day. It's here now. He said, if the kingdom of God has come, it's come, it's come. But it's not fully consummated. It's not fully realized. It's not fully present. And guess what? Most people don't even see it. So if the people of God stop seeing it and being aware of, ain't nobody thinking about it. We are the people that should say continually, wait a minute, there's more. Wait a minute, there's more. Wait a minute, there's something else to live for than right here, right now. And so right now, here's the temptation. It's been a temptation as long as Christians have lived in this fallen, broken, dark world. And one of our top sins, even as saved Christians, right? Because the body of flesh is not eradicated. One of our top sins is pride. And so we tend to relentlessly think, God, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yep, that's what I thought. Here we go. Here we go. Let's do this together. Just like Home Depot. Let's do this together. I have a plan and you have the power to get us there. I know what needs to be done and you can get it done. Woo! Here we go, God. God rides, God rides shotgun with me. So unbiblical, but so common, so very common. Oh, see right now, the people of God who live for the kingdom of God are at war with spiritual darkness. Now, as I say that, some of you just thought some very wrong thoughts. Yeah, I'm watching believers go to war over all the wrong things and in the wrong way. We are at war with spiritual darkness as we carry out the great commission and share the gospel with lost people. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be about. Making disciples until the promise of Revelation eleven fifteen is fully realized. 
when the cherubim and the seraphim and every created being in heaven is going to shout and rock the heavens and the earth with the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. It's coming where every earthly kingdom will be swallowed up with the only perfect kingdom you're ever going to find. And the only perfect ruler, King Jesus. What you're wanting is coming, my friend. Justice. Vanquish evil. Push out darkness. Bring light. Eradicate disease and sickness and confusion and hurt and abuse. It's all coming. But until then, we have to guard against the temptation of meshing our kingdom agenda with his and assuming they're one and the same. What I want, he wants. What I want, he wants. And therefore trying to bring in the kingdom of God with our own human effort. Now, don't make a mistake. It's not like, or are we not supposed to do anything, Pastor Brad? Are we not supposed to put forth effort? Or are we not supposed to get behind any causes? Listen to me as I explain a little further. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? Well, there's two ditches that I've watched Christians fall into. And if you read Christian history, you'll see it's been a problem as long as there have been Christians. It's not a new problem. Theological liberals... Theological liberals have talked about the kingdom of God as if it's something we can engineer and construct and bring about through humanitarian effort and good works. We'll dig enough wells. We'll get clean water. We'll, we'll distribute food more evenly. We'll eradicate illiteracy. We'll stop slave trade. We'll stop sex abuse. We'll stop. We're going to bring it about. We're going to make things right. And this group is all about hashtag this and then hashtag that and then hashtag this. And if you don't jump on board with this current thing, then you don't care about people. Here we go. Here we go. Here we, we need everybody right here on this right now. And then what I've watched in our day a whole new level, they would rally to a cause and think we're going to educate people to eradicate this evil. We're going to spend enough money to eradicate this evil. And now this component's been added. We're going to shame enough people who will not get on board as if this is what their life should be all about. And we're even going to cancel out anyone, cancel culture, who isn't right here on this. Don't hear me saying there's no, no believer should be a part of, of clean water or food or literacy or any of those issues. Do hear me saying, my friend, that is not the kingdom of God. If you throw your life into that and you spend a lifetime saying this is what matters most, you may have some people, you probably will, who go to hell and had clean water to drink before they went to hell. Less malaria, less diarrhea, less all kinds of things, but they went to hell. People who can read street signs and maybe get a better job, but they went to hell. If that that you're doing doesn't also move past that, there's a place for saying this person's belly is swollen out. Don't start trying, telling them about the gospel. If you can feed them, feed them. 
So don't hear what I'm not saying. But that in itself, food, water, literacy, stopping this, stop that, is not the kingdom of God advancing. Sharing the gospel. If you don't take it and you don't point them to Christ, and part of what you're doing doesn't include, oh, we are a gospel-centered ministry of this. And even here in our church family, don't, say, don't think we just share the gospel. We just share the gospel. We've got a ministry to women who are dancers in clubs because we have a heart for them. They're, they're created in the image of God to rescue them. So we're meeting practical needs. We have a ministry we partner with for food for the hungry. We have over a dozen ministries we partner with. But the goal is to move from that practical need to Jesus and the gospel. But often it's that younger generation today just thinks, news alert, lost people are all about those things too, you realize. And if the people of God don't stay focused on the main thing, nobody else is. And so also, don't shame those who don't jump on board with your thing. There's some people that are saying, I'm going to focus on counseling people who are trapped in sin. I'm going to focus on sharing the gospel. I'm going to fo- Let's trust that God's using everybody in different ways because humanitarian effort and good works do not bring in the kingdom of God. But if you're enjoying this moment a lot, thinking, yeah, yeah, that camp, those people, buckle up. There's another camp. There's another camp that, that has been just as unhelpful. Conservatives have been just as guilty of trying to domesticate God's kingdom and confuse it and tie it to one political party as if Jesus and this party are the same. That's caused equal levels of confusion. And it's much more focused on, we will legislate morality. We're going to legislate morality and we're going to use politics to turn this thing around. If we just get enough of the right people in the right seats of power, we will turn this around and we will bring justice and kingdom here. No, you won't. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. We've got someone right now running for Kentucky Congress. Yay, I'm praying for him. I I added a new page in my prayer journal. Good, we need Christians to get in there and be salt and light. I have a mayor of a northern Kentucky city in my small group. We love her. We rally around her. She's making a difference. We had a U.S. congressman for for years here. Yay, don't hear me saying, huh, America can go to hell in a handbasket. I don't care about civil leaders. Civil leaders can make a big difference. But no civil leader will bring in the kingdom of God through legislation and politics and earthly power. It's time for the people of God to recognize humanitarian good works won't do it. Politics won't do it. You say, well, what will do it? Glad you asked. Because I would love for more of you to wake up excited about it. Oh my goodness, listen. Here's what will bring in the kingdom of God. The people of God. Raise your hand if you think you're a Christian. The people of God filled with the spirit of God. We're not that church that teaches until you speak in tongues, you don't have the spirit. If you have Jesus, you have the spirit. Yay, power. The people of God filled with the spirit of God called to share the word of God. The gospel, that is how the kingdom of God advances as one person at a time 
is saved and snatched out of darkness into marvelous light and was a pile of dead spiritual bones and is made alive by God's spirit because you shared the gospel. You'd planted a seed. You ran Jesus up the flagpole and you, and you looked for an opportunity to turn the conversation to when you hear me talking about sharing in the gym or sharing on a plane or sharing in my neighborhood. I hope you don't think, yeah, I'm glad he does that. That's what we pay him to do. Preach good sermons and share the gospel because I'm certainly never going to do that. Well, that's really sad. Every single one of us is, you may be in the marketplace, you're a school teacher, you're a business owner, you're a pharmaceutical sales rep, you're a lawyer, you're an attorney, you're a police officer, whatever you are. He has you there to be good at what you do and to be salt and light and to name the name of Christ. And here's what breaks my heart. I'm a poke. This is why we rolled out a fresh vision in 2014 before the world blew up. I already thought it was dark. I already thought it was bad. And I was reading the book of Acts and I said, we, I want to have a fresh vision that calls our people to what we should be about. So I said, we're asking God to raise up a generation of Christians at Grace Fellowship who have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see more lost people come to Christ. If I get one more email from someone who has hijacked that and saying, well, that's why I'm standing. I've got the courage to stand, Pastor Brad, and say why masks don't work. I've got the courage to stand and say, don't get vaccinated. I've got the courage to stand and talk about which party is the best. Please, that is not what I was talking about or the elders were talking about. And I'm speaking up. Well, yay. I just wish you were speaking about, up about what matters most. Gee, and then they always leave the third one completely off. A heart that's willing to sacrifice to see more lost people come to Christ. Folks, the vision is tied to the kingdom. And the kingdom is about the gospel. And the star of it is Jesus. We meant for you to have more courage to take a stand. And not be ashamed to say, I'm still a Christian. I'm still a Christian. And then speak truth about the gospel and Jesus and then sacrifice for those same people that might be coming at you and railing against you because we want to see them come to faith in Christ. Kingdom. It's painted on the wall in the cafe. It's point painted in the office area. It's on our website. But don't anybody else hijack it and say, that's why I'm speaking up about. If you're not speaking up about Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom of God, Stop. Write your own vision statement. Right? Write your own. Don't take mine. This had a purpose. This had meaning. And it was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. People of God. Filled with the spirit of God. Sharing the word of God. So listen to me. When we pray, your kingdom come. We're praying a wonderful and dangerous prayer at the same time. Do you realize? Because it is a prayer of surrender where we give up power and say, oh God, we don't know how to fix all this. But you do. You do. Do what only you can do as we do what you've called us to do. Share the gospel and sacrifice and love people. Do what only you can do as we do what you've called us to do. And oh, guess what? When you start your prayers this way, it's a reset. Your name, your fame, your rule and reign. Your name, your fame, your rule and 
reign. So many Christians are melting down and freaking out today because they've lost sight of what matters most. Come back to the kingdom of God. He said he knew this could happen to us. He knew it would be a temptation. So when, he, when they said, show us how to pray, he said, oh, tell you what, start this way. Father, hallowed be your, make much of you. Your kingdom come. You're going to be tempted to get all wound up in the little earthly temporal kingdom. Your kingdom come. Now what else do you need? Oh, give us this day our daily bread. Number two, you'll need to keep seeing your own sin. Oh, if you thought that was hard, it's about to get harder. You'll need to keep seeing your own sin. Say it. First, if you're ever going to forgive anyone else. Look at verse four. And forgive us our sins. Now, I want you to realize This was meant to be a model prayer and a pattern of components that should be included. So this should settle it once and for all. I still get emails occasionally from someone. Why do you keep talking about us being a sinner? We're saints. Why do you keep saying we're a sinner? It really bothers me. Well, it really bothers me that it bothers you. Because your view was captured by pop psychology and not the Bible You've bought into, I have to feel good about myself. I I, I have to say, you're great. Look in the mirror. You're great. You're great. No, you're not. You're on your way to hell. He's great. He's great. And when you lose sight of your not, you can just drop amazing from the front of grace. It's just not that amazing. Oh, my goodness. When you still, in all of your interactions before a holy God, never lose sight of, oh, my goodness, I am still a sinner who has a great savior. So don't hear me saying fall on the ground and wallow self-loathing. No, no. But when you're aware of it, you immediately celebrate your savior. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Oh my goodness. Not just some of my sin, all my sin, past, present, future. I was on my way to hell. I could have never done what was necessary to be right with God. And Jesus did it for me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm probably still sinning a little bit today, right? Forgive us our sins. Listen to me. If you stop seeing yourself as a sinner, you will start struggling to forgive other sinners. Here's why this matters. The day you stop seeing yourself as a sinner, you will begin to struggle to forgive other sinners. And if you say, okay, Brad, whatever, I don't forgive people. What's the big deal? Listen to me. It's not just a big deal. It's a gospel deal breaker. It's a gospel deal breaker. Do you realize? It is a gospel deal breaker. Huh. Because our love for others, that's, that's what grieves me in the past two years. Even what I've seen with some of our church family, how they're talking to each other online and just hurling hate back and forth. Our love for each other and our willingness to forgive, how big a crowd? Everyone. Is what we're supposed to call this lost, hateful, angry, selfish, bitter, personally, agen- personally driven agenda world to say, What is that? How do you love like that? (gasps) 
And why would you forgive like that? Do you realize our love and willingness to forgive was intended to be the strongest apologetic to a lost and dying world that there is a God and he actually loves us and actually forgives people. How do you know it? Look at them. What happened there? How how do you love like that? Why would you forgive them? I, I know some of what they did to you. Why? We do not need any Christians to be able to take a loaf of bread and feed the whole neighborhood. Oh, that'd be so cool if you could do a miracle with a loaf of Dave's bread. No, not really. Oh, if I could levitate, watch this. Now believe. Do you know what the miracle is? Do you know what the miracle is? Forgiveness. You're like, what? Does our world forgive? Woo! No. Oh my goodness, no. When you forgive, they say, what do you have that I don't have? How did you do that? Why would you do that? Oh. And so listen, in a room this size, I believe there's probably more than I wish sitting here in this category. When you live angry, self-focused, bitter, and unforgiving while you claim to be a Christian, watch this. You just take a spray can and you spray graffiti all over the beauty and power of the gospel and make it hard for anyone to see it or turn. The gospel's still beautiful, you guys. It's still powerful, but your life is making it harder for them to even see the beauty of it or the power of it. Think about, I hate graffiti. I have an ongoing argument with one of my adult children. It's art. No, it's not art. I hate it. It just says no one's in control, chaos, and it's all about me. Did you ever notice on the overpass and on the wall and whatever? Maybe you don't realize because it's always so funky. The number one thing they're spraying is their name. They have a name they're known for. I'm putting my name everywhere. He's been here. She's been here. Oh, happy for you. It's all about their name. That's how unbelievers live. Very often when we say, no, not going to forgive. Guess what it's all about? My name, my reputation. What happened to me? Ooh, when you will not forgive and you're bitter and you're angry, you've got a spray can in your hand and you're just spraying graffiti all over the beauty and power. of the. So I would say it to you this way. I do pray that God would grant you repentance. I do pray that you would dig in and say, oh God, help me. This is not a peripheral issue. Every year I say, so I'm, so I'm not forgiving. So I'm not forgiving, whatever. Not whatever. I do pray that you would dig in and say, oh God, set me free, help me. But I would be so bold as to say to you, if that's you, you're angry, bitter, unforgiving, and self-focused, Until God helps you, please stop telling anyone you're a Christian. Because you're making it harder for anyone to come to Christ. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive, say it, everyone. 
Oh, and if I've heard it once, I've heard it 100,000 times. A Christian says, I know we're supposed to forgive, but... And then they begin to explain the particulars of why in their situation it can't be done, shouldn't be done, and they will not do it. You do realize everybody thinks they're the exception. And, if you, and I know this is hard. So on my website, not the church website, on my website, bradbigney.com, I have put, if you click sermons, a set of messages that actually aren't mine. That I send people to all the time. And I've had no one say, eh, whatever. It's Milton Vincent's four messages on forgiveness that he did here in 2014. I've never heard anything like it. He does a 360 around the cross where he helps you to freshly experience what God did for you when he forgave you. So that you can forgive others. Go listen to those four messages if you need to. Do whatever you need to. Sign up for counseling. Talk to a friend. Do whatever you need to do this year to get free so that you can begin to put on display the billboard of the glory of the gospel and Christ's love for his bride, the church. And I know it's not easy. Jesus never said it would be easy, you guys. This is one of those things that you'll find him, even in the, in the version that we have in Matthew of the Lord's Prayer, of everything he said to pray, this is the only component that he came back to and said, let me give you a little additional teaching on this because this is really going to be hard. I've told you before, parables are not snuggy down under a warm blanket with Uncle Jesus. Tell me a story. <laughs> parables were meant to be a kick in the head, a shock that causes you to say, oh my goodness, I'm not thinking what he wants me to think. And I think the most shocking, rocking parable he ever told is the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. So if you need help, go to Matthew 18 this afternoon. The Bengals don't play till three. Get this taken care of. Go to Matthew 18 and oh my goodness, you will see him saying, Jesus, that a servant was forgiven a $9.6 billion debt. And he went out and grabbed a fellow servant who owed him $15,000. Now that's a lot of money. That hurts. Jesus didn't say 10. He wanted you to realize, oh, but what happened to me really hurt. Mm -hmm, 15,000 would be. But he wouldn't forgive. And the master called him back. The master's God. And he said, you wicked servant. He didn't say, oh, I know you're struggling. I feel so bad for you. I know this must be really hard. I understand why you're not doing this. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow servant? Key word that you'll see all through the Bible on this issue, just as You'll see just as, even as, it's all connected to Jesus. Just as I had mercy on you. And then it says, he turned him over to the torturers. I don't know exactly what that means. Just put it in your pipe and smoke it. But I don't think it sounds good. I don't want it happening to me. Whatever it is, it does not sound good. And he says, that's what I'm giving you who don't forgive. Because I've forgiven you. All your debt. A few years ago, a woman in our church told me an amazing story of forgiveness. But I want you to hear in her testimony how hard it was. 
And I want you to hear this very thing, how it put on display the gospel and a miracle that the world says, oh my goodness, what is that? People don't do that. What you just did, they don't do. Listen to what she says. I want it, and I have her permission to share this. I wanted to let you know what God has done since we last spoke. As you know, I have an extended family member who drug my name. Notice, it's about our name. That hurts. That hurts. You, you drug my name through the... She drug my name through the dirt to other family members and anyone else who would listen. I felt so wronged by her and there was no hint of repentance. I also felt that my own wrongdoing seemed so insignificant in comparison to hers. We always think that. But after I spoke with you and you encouraged me to confess my own wrongdoing with no regard as to whether they ever apologize, I knew you were right. But I couldn't actually proceed until my heart was right. And that took months of prayer. The hurt had sunk in so deep that I wasn't, listen to this, I wasn't perceiving as clearly as I should the depth and breadth of the effect of my own sinful behavior. So it took some time. But when I came to the point of being able to write a letter of confession and repentance to her, it was as if God shined a light and gave this whole area of my heart a final wipe down so that my heart was pure in my repentance without any expectation from her. In fact, when she received my letter, she didn't believe it was genuine because it was so radical. After reading my letter, she called me on the phone and grilled me for about a half hour looking for hints of pride or deceit. After the phone call, she actually jumped on a plane three days later because she still didn't believe it and wanted to talk to me face to face. We sat for three hours. Now, this is not fun, you guys. Listen to what she says. We sat for three hours because she had five typed pages of questions for me, rehashing our past interactions, old letters, texts, as well as the letter I'd just written. She wanted to see a thorough change of heart and perspective in me. Then in all caps, she says, and she did. Not once did I point out or even want to point out any of her wrongdoing towards me. My mantra and prayer the whole time was to put on display the gospel because God had so worked in my heart that I truly wanted nothing more than for the gospel to shine. And it did. When we finished talking, she looked at me and said, this is an absolute miracle. People don't change like this. See, we got too many Christians wishing we could do amazing things again. Like the book of Acts. Here's what's amazing. Forgiveness. She said, people don't change. No, they don't. And if Christians stop doing it, there won't be anybody doing it. People don't change like this. And, and so I had the privilege of sharing what God had done in my life and how he's in the business of changing hearts. The relationship that we have now is amazing. And I have her respect, which allows me an opportunity to continue to love her and share my faith. In short, it was all because I got out of the way and let God work his word in my life, which has been so freeing. You realize when you're bitter and unforgiving, you're the one bound up while you think you're punishing them. You're bound up. It was so freeing. Now listen to how she closes because this is critical. She says, I had to give up my right to be right. And to see vengeance where I had been wrong. That's what's so hard. I want to be right. And I want to see vengeance. I want to see payback. I was wronged. I want to be right. And I want to see payback. I was wronged. 
She says, I also learned to see the gospel shining as far more important than how I'm being perceived. Do you hear how we're back to the beginning of the prayer? She talked about name. How, when you're living for self, it's all about how am I being perceived? What's my reputation? What about my good name? What are people thinking of me? And here's my agenda for what I think should happen in this world. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone. And then the world says, what is that? What is that? I don't have that kind of power. Quickly, number three, you'll have to trust that God is good even when the answer is no. Since we're talking about prayer, could I just be speak the elephant in the room? One of the biggest struggles we have with prayer, right? I've heard it as a pastor for so long. It doesn't work, Pastor Brad. Prayer doesn't work. I told God exactly what to do. And he didn't do it. And I mean, I said it lots, frothy, vigorous. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? I told him exactly what to do and it still didn't happen. Do you realize the Holy Spirit is giving us right here between the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of 11, an example of unanswered prayer, an example of a request that was made to Jesus and he didn't do it. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, tell her to help me. That was her request. He didn't do it. So many of our requests, could we just be honest for a moment? So many of our requests could be clumped in that category, right? Change her. Tell him. Do this. Do that. Don't even be saying there's not a place to make requests. But folks, we tend to act like the only answered prayer is when I get yes. Do you realize here's how God can answer our prayers? He can say yes. We love it. I've seen some amazing yeses. Praise God. But that means my mind was so aligned with his. My heart was more caught up with what he's about. And I was asking the right things. And so therefore I'm a part of what God's doing. Yes. And he does use our prayers. But there's another way he can answer. Wait. Oh, we hate that one. Wait. There's a lot of wait in the Bible. But here's a third one that you see in Luke 10. No, not that, but this. He didn't tell Mary to get in the kitchen and help. Instead, he said, Martha, let me, let me tell you what you need to know and what you need to do to be transformed in the midst of those same circumstances. So many of our prayers are focused on change the circumstances, change the people around me. Change the circumstances, change the people around me. Do you know what his top concern is? He wants to change us in those circumstances. And surely you would be honest enough to say, when do we really change the most? When it's easy, fun, margin in my life? No. People say to me, when I went through breast cancer, when I got prostate cancer, when, my, when I lost my job, it's when circumstances are hard and the people around me are not what I wish that you say, oh God, oh God. And he can begin to do a work. Let me give you a prayer that he loves to answer. You're like, all right, so frustrated. Listen to this. Oh God, show me everything I'm not seeing about me in this situation. Oh God, give me everything I need to glorify you 
in this situation. Oh God, don't remove this trial until you've taught me everything you want me to learn and you've made me more like Jesus. Watch what happens. That promise that Paul quotes in Philippians is what we're talking about. He said, and I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you. And we love it because it gives assurance. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But here's what maybe you don't realize. He's going to finish what he started. Finish isn't just, I'm going to hold on to you and make sure you don't go to hell until you go to heaven. He's going to finish taking you from a selfish, self-focused, kingdom agenda, my name, my fame, to more like Jesus until he returns. That's what he's about, changing us in the midst of circumstances. He's a good father. We're going to talk about some more next week. Don't buy into the lie from Satan. He's not deaf, he's not indifferent, and he's not powerless. He hears your cry. But very often he says, his answer is, not that, but this. Because here's what he would say to you. If you were as wise as I am and as good as I am, this is what you would have asked for. So I'm going to give you what you would have asked for. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for not just saving us. Thank you for not just tossing us into this dark world and say, I hope you can sort all this out. Oh, you've given us direct access to your throne day and night in prayer through the name of Jesus, our high priest who intercedes for us. But, oh, God, would you, just like the disciples said, would you teach us to pray? Help us to get aligned with your thoughts and your kingdom. Help us to be aware of something bigger, something eternal. Lord, change us before you change any circumstances or people around us and use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.